Another beautiful day to be in worship. I like it when it's like this. I told you that last week. And um, I think I'll give you another mission moment. Uh, I thought maybe this sermon would be a little choppy because all week, this past week and this coming week, I've been teaching a course by Zoom for uh, pastors in Ukraine. And for 26 years I've been doing that, and it's been translated into Russian. So I would say, you know, something like, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. And then the translator, young lady that's been with me all 27 years now, she started when she was 18, she would translate it into Russian. Uh, they won't do it in Russian anymore. They only do it in Ukrainian. So uh, I now have to say, the Lord is my shepherd. Because she's a Russian speaker, everybody's a Russian speaker, you know, they couldn't speak Ukrainian uh, when they were growing up. So it takes her a little longer and she has to take it in smaller bites, and uh, so it's been a little choppy sometimes, just a couple of words, and uh, so on. But the subject of what I'm teaching is really special because um, the subject is uh, knowing God, and... uh, That's why we're here this morning. That's what worship is all about. In Romans chapter 11, we read, For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? And then these words, For from him and through him and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. Amen. That's what worship is all about. We come here this morning to remind ourselves that it's not about us, it's about Him. We were made for Him, and everything about our lives is from Him, through Him, and to Him, and may our worship uh, be the same uh, this morning. Uh, This Sunday is the last sermon in the book of Philippians, uh, my favorite book, and uh, We come to the text this morning, which is Philippians chapter 10. So please, hear the word of God. Philippians 4, verse 10. I rejoice in the Lord greatly that now at length you have received your concern for me. You You were indeed concerned for me, but you had no opportunity. Not that I am speaking of being in need, for I have learned in whatever situation I am to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. I can do all things through him who strengthens me. The word of God, let us respond. The grass withers, the flower fade, but the word of our God will stand forever. Amen. I'm sure that many of you have at least heard about Aladdin's lamp. If you don't know the story, it's about a young man living on the streets, you know, ragged clothes and so on, and and an evil sorcerer uh, recruits him to go into a cave, a dangerous cave, and and retrieve this magic lamp. Uh, He goes into the cave and he gets the lamp, but he fools the sorcerer and he keeps the lamp for himself. And the genie in the lamp promises him three wishes. And so he wishes, number one, he would have a great castle, a big home, you know, like the king to live in. 
Secondly, he would like to have a beautiful princess for his wife, so he gets his first two wishes. But unfortunately, then the sorcerer fools him and gets the lamp back, and everything around him melts. Now, if that's not the story you know, I'm not surprised, because that's not the way Disney tells it. Um, That's not the way the modern books for children tell it. No, the way they tell it is that uh, he gets all of his wishes and he lives happily ever after with his mother and his beautiful princess bride in the beautiful castle. But the real story is that, as I've said, everything melts around him, but he learns an important lesson. And that is, wealth is not found in riches, but wealth is found in character. Now you see why Disney jettisoned that. (laughs) You see, we don't believe that any longer. We believe that if we could just win the Powerball, everything would be better, everything would be different. But I want you to see that Paul is saying something very significant, sort of like this idea, but even greater. And that is, he says in verse 12, I've learned a secret. That's a special Greek word, actually. It doesn't appear in the New Testament much at all. And it, it sort of means I've been initiated into a mystery. I, I'm one of the special people that God has revealed to me something that's very important. And that is that life can only be found in God himself, and only God can reveal that to us. Now, he's been already teaching that, hasn't he? In, in chapter 1, verse 6, I'm confident that he who began a good work in you will carry it unto completion. Or uh, in, in chapter 2, you know, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. Why? Because God is in you, working in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. And uh, we've just seen in in chapter 4 where he talks about rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Why? Because the Lord is at hand. Whatever you're dealing with, God is in in the middle of that. So he's already been talking about this. But now he comes and zeroes in on it. And, And he's talking about the fact that I'm content no matter what situation I'm in. Because I'm in the Lord. And that's the most important thing. Now, as far as I'm concerned, this word contentment is a much better word, a bigger word than we kind of think about when we think about it in the English. Back in the 60s, there was an ad for carnation milk. I don't know if any of you remember that, but it came from contented cows. And... uh, (laughs) I'm not sure what a contented cow was even, but I think it was a cow that was laying down in the late afternoon under a tree. Uh, I better not say chewing his cud or her cud, uh, but uh, uh, ruminating. How about that, okay? That's, by the way, the same thing if you don't know it. Um, But um, that's not what Paul is talking about here, I don't think. I think he's talking about much more. Remember, chapter 4 is really the application of chapters 1, 2, and 3. And so I think he's talking about all the things that he's talked about in those chapters leading up to this. And what he's saying is that in God, my life is complete. 
You know, often in the morning I pray through Psalm 23. And you know Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, and so on. And there's so many things to pray about. I mean, peace, guidance, protection, blessings, the Holy Spirit. All of those things are in that psalm. But the most important part of that psalm is, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes, you get all these other things, but even if you don't get them, you got the Lord, and that's the greatest blessing you can have. That's the only thing that will fulfill your life. That's the only thing that will really give you this contentment that Paul is talking about, that he has found, and he wants you to find as well. Now, we're about to enter into a political season. You know that. Maybe you know that. I'm sure you know that. And uh, so you better buckle your seatbelts because there's going to be a lot of politicians that are going to tell you that they're going to fix everything. But they can't. And I'll tell you why they can't. Because our biggest problem is not a political problem. Our biggest problem is a spiritual problem. You know, 78% of the people that live in America today believe that we are on the wrong track. We're going in the wrong direction. I think you know that. You've been hearing that kind of thing and so on. Well, they're not wrong. But they just think if the gas prices came down or something like that, things would be a lot better. They wouldn't be. We need a revival. We need a spiritual awakening. We need a moral correction to our country and to our lives. And, and Paul says, I've learned this secret. I'm confident in God. And that's the reality of the contentment that he's talking about. I think he's really saying, I have come through grace to understand, first of all, who God is. There's my course again, knowing God. It's the most important thing in our lives. That's why we're here this morning, as already said. If you can just pray for one thing, it ought to be that. God, show yourself to me in a greater way today. I want your life to be really where my life is centered. I want the reality of the fact that I was made for you. I want that to impact every area of our life, knowing God. And, and Paul is saying... That's where I begin. I know who God is. And I'm learning this more and more each day. Secondly, I think he also can say, I know who Christ is. He's my perfect Savior. And I know him personally. And I'm seeing him work more and more in my life in different areas and in different places. Praise God. And then I think he also says, I know who I am. I'm a son of God, a daughter of God. I've been adopted by him. That's the thing that changes everything about your life. And by the way, it's the only thing that can really change everything about your life. You see, God knows us, and he wants us to know him. And he wants us to understand that even though we have a long ways to go, he has put us into Jesus Christ by Christ's death on the cross. And so when God looks at us, he sees those who look like Jesus. That's who you are. God sees you, and he says, you are as perfect as my son. And we 
are because he has put Christ's righteousness to our account. And he loves us. And that love cannot be exhausted. Now that's contentment, don't you think? I mean, that's something that will truly change your life. In 1685, there were two Margarets, Scottish ladies. One was a mature woman. The other was a teenager. Um, Margaret Wilson was the teenager. Margaret McLaughlin was the more mature woman. And their crime was that they would not confess that James VII was the head of the church. They said, no, Jesus is the head of the church. We will not declare James VII as the head of the church. And for that, they were sentenced to death. And they decided that what they would do is that they would place them out into a fjord when the tide was low, but they would put them out there so when the tide rised to its height, they would be underwater. And they tied the older woman further out so that the water would cover her before it covered Margaret Wilson. And finally the tide came in and the more mature woman, Margaret McLaughlin, was drowned in front of the eyes of Margaret Wilson. So they came to Margaret Wilson and they said, all you have to do is say James is the head of the church. And she says, I will not. The water came in deeper and deeper, so now it was at her chin. And they said, look, it's simple. All you got to do is say that James is the head of the church. That's all you have to do. She says, I won't do it. All I will do is pray for his salvation. He's going to hell. The water came in deeper, so they had to lift up her head like this. And they said, won't you just say James is the head of the church? And she said, no, because Jesus is the Lord of my life. Now, you might say, what a terrible thing. And it is terrible. But I want to tell you something. I see in that a deep contentment, what we've been talking about. This young teenager knew who she was. She knew who Jesus was. She knew who God the Father was. And that changed everything about her life, even to the point of death. In our text, we're told that Paul says in verse 12, I've learned this. And I like that because I've got a ways to go yet. And probably you do as well. You know, if Paul said, well, when I became a Christian, it just automatically landed on me. I would think, what in the world's happened to me? But I see growth. But I see also a ways to go. But Paul could say the same thing. Because this idea of learning how to live in Christ is a process. It doesn't happen overnight. It's called sanctification. And what God is doing in our life is he's shaping us and molding us so we look more like Jesus. We're already in Jesus. When he looks at us, he sees Jesus. But he's more and more making us also to reflect his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's a beautiful thing. There's a sense in which I want you to see that, you know, you may even be satisfied for where you are in your life. I'm talking about in your spiritual life. Maybe you feel like, I'm doing pretty well. 
Well, I can tell you, Jesus is not completely satisfied. He's still working. And he will work in your life until you either pass out of this world or Christ comes again. Again, 1-6, I'm confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Isn't that exactly what Paul is saying? Do you know what Paul is most famous for in relationship to his doctrine and his theology? Paul is always often called the theologian of union with Christ. In fact, that statement is said by Paul 143 times. Union with Christ. The thing that impressed Paul more than anything else was the fact that not only did he belong to Christ, but he was in Christ. And time and time and time again, he uses that phrase, in Christ. Just read the first 11 verses of Ephesians chapter 1 and you'll see. I mean, my goodness, you know, you would have thought he'd wore out that, that uh, phrase, in Christ. But that's what's important to him, that he was in Christ. There was an old Puritan that put it this way, to be established in Christ is to be settled in Christ. To be full of Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit, it is to find all treasure all grace, all strength, all joy, and all glory in Him. That's what God is teaching us. That's what the Holy Spirit is applying to our hearts and to our minds. And you will notice that this contentment that Paul is talking about is it's internal, it's not external. The events that are out here don't really impact it. It doesn't matter... Paul says, if you have little or if you have a lot, doesn't matter. In Christ, if you're suffering, it does not crush you. But if God has blessed you, it does not make you complacent. It just raises you up in the relationship with him. This past Thanksgiving, we had our family gathering, 22 people, all in a really nice retreat center called Ridge Haven, uh, they're nice enough to give me a master key, and we just have a wonderful time. It's, it's really a family um, event. Uh, it's like a ball to me. I mean, it's the most exciting time for me in the entire um, year. And uh, we go around the table after we eat, and everyone tells what they're thankful for and so on. And, and uh, my son-in-law uh, this time said, I want to tell a story. It's not about how I've been blessed, but it's about suffering, and he told the story about how my first wife had called him when her cancer came back, uh, and she was so important uh, to him. In fact, he says, I, I married her daughter because I was in love with her mother. That's the way he put it. <laughs> and, uh, and he said when she told me this time was terminal, he pulled over and he just bawled like a baby. And her words to Jeff were, but Jeff, God made this day as well. And he did. And what was she saying? Christ is here. Everything is not falling apart. His plan for our lives is better than our plan for our lives. Whether it is little or whether it's a lot, it does not matter. Paul himself knew that quite well. I mean, 
I don't know, are you familiar with this passage uh, over in um, in uh, 2 Corinthians uh, verse 11 and, and verse 25? I, I challenge you to, t- to, to read this passage in one breath. Listen. Five times I received the hands of the Jews, the forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked a night and a day. I was adrift at sea on frequent journeys in danger from rivers, dangers from robbers, dangers from my own people, dangers from Gentiles, dangers in the city, dangers in the wilderness, dangers in sea, dangers from false brothers, and toils and hardships through many a sleepless night, and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold and exposure. And apart from other things, there's a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all of you. You know, Paul wrote this letter to the Philippians. He was in jail. And yet he's telling us right now, it doesn't matter. Whatever situation I'm in, I've learned to be content. I know the secret. Now, you might think, well, yeah, that's really something. Uh, all of that that he had to endure. But notice he says, I've learned whether I've got much or whether I have little. And I'm saying to you that maybe much is harder than little. It might be harder when God has really blessed us to really keep our eyes focused on Christ and to put him at the center of our life than when things are falling apart and we really need help. Don't you think? I mean, isn't the Old Testament in some ways a story of a people that when they are under persecution, they turn to God and say, help. And when God blesses them, they wander off and worship other gods and, 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 and wreck everything. Pretty common, if you ask me. I heard a quote from Warren Buffett that, you know, he's one of the richest men in the world. I'm going to clean this quote up just a little bit. But he says, you know, you don't know who's swimming uh, with trunks until the tide goes out. And... What he was saying is you don't really know who's got their life put together until you find that they don't have all of the things that they have around them, surrounding them to make life kind of easy and so on. But when we have a lot, we need to ask God to use that in our life to bring us to that place of contentment in Christ. I visited a man one time. He was awfully important to me. He was the major donor for Covenant Seminary when I was the president there. He had actually kept the place alive for many years uh, when they were really struggling financially. And and I was visiting with him down in his condo in Fort Lauderdale, and and he said to me, "Uh, Paul, do you think it's all right for me to own a Mercedes? Now, I knew he had a Mercedes, so I thought, I wonder how I should answer this. Um, And I said, you know, here's the thing. I think you buying a Mercedes is consuming less of uh, what you have than if I bought a Volkswagen Beetle. So I don't think it's too bad that you have a Mercedes. I think the real issue is all of the blessings that God has given you, what is that doing to you? How is that impacting your walk with the Lord? And I would say that to all of us. When God blesses us in different ways, what does that do for us? Does it turn us towards ourselves, or does it turn us to God 
himself. You know, I was thinking about this. A man called me uh, last night. Uh, and he said, Paul, how you doing? He was my um, executive vice president when I was president of Erskine College and Seminary. He said, how you doing? I said, I'm doing pretty well. He said, have you finally retired? I said, I am. I'm retired. I'm just working for Mission of the World and working for the administrative committee, and I'm teaching a class uh, uh, in Ukraine by Zoom. Oh, and I'm preaching at Chestnut Mountain Presbyterian Church, too. He says, Paul, I don't think you know how to retire. <laughs> and, and I thought to myself, you know, what a blessing that a people like you would ask an old man like me to come and preach on Sunday to you. I'm blessed. But I am not take it for granted. It's just a gift from God. And what it ought to do is cause me to love God more, to depend on Him more. And Paul says, yeah, I've learned how when things are rough to depend on God. But listen, most of us really need to hear this other one because most of us are living over on this other side. We need to learn how to bless God and turn to God when we have much because we have much, right? That's the way it is. You know, there's a, a little verse that I, I don't know how you covered it. I wasn't here when they were preaching in the second chapter of Philippians, but it's actually verse 14. Do all things without grumbling or questioning. I actually love that verse. It is really just quit complaining. What is wrong with you people? Quit complaining. But I want you to see the context. The context is, first of all, the greatest Christological passage in the Bible according to um, uh, Phillips. And uh, it is it is, uh, he was in the form of God, thought it nor robbery equal with God, but he humbled himself and became obedient to death, death on the cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and given him the name that is above every name, the name of Jesus. Every knee should bow and every tongue should confess that Christ is Lord. But he doesn't add, end there. He also says, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in you, both to will and to do his good pleasure. The greatest Christological passage in the Bible, I think the greatest passage on sanctification in the Bible, and then it goes on in verse 15 to actually have what I think is one of the greatest mission passages in all the Bible, that you may be blameless, innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. Now here's my point. If you had the greatest Christological passage in the Bible, and the greatest sanctification passage in the Bible, and a really good passage in the Bible on missions, wouldn't you want to have a zinger for application? You know, maybe the Ten Commandments or something like that. Come on, you know. Are you going to have the only application to be people? Quit complaining, will you? <laughs> but do you see something? When you're complaining... What are you doing? When you're complaining, you're negating all of these wonderful things that are part of your life. That Jesus Christ really is the, your salvation. He did humble himself for you. And when you're working in the process of sanctification, learning these things that Paul is talking about, he's also at the same time he's at work. And you're 
You're stars in a dark universe. And when you're complaining, you've forgotten all of that. You see, that little tiny verse becomes a really big verse when you think about it. Robert Murray McShane, a wonderful man. If you've never read the biography of on him, you should. He preached a sermon one time on Isaiah 34, 15. The title of the sermon was, Let Your Life Be Hidden in Christ. Now remember, this is Isaiah 34, 15. But the title was, Let Your Life Be Hidden in Christ. And this is what he said. Many people pray for revival. But what I personally need is the living Spirit of God in my own soul. I want my life to be hid with Christ in God. At the present time, there is way too much hurry and bustle in my life to allow the calm working of Christ in my heart. And as I read that this week, I thought to myself, that's a great passage from Robert Murray McShane to remind ourselves that we're coming into the Christmas season. And maybe we need to slow down just a little bit. There's a lot of hustle and bustle, even in churches, when it comes to the Christmas season. But maybe we need to slow down just a bit and remember that truly the babe in the major was the second person of the Trinity, the Son of God. And when the, when the angels sing, peace on earth, goodwill to those whom God favors. When they sing that great hymn of Christmas, we ought to let the reality of that sink in. That's the most important thing. All the rest of it is just trapping. What is really important is that God came into this world to find you and to find me, to die on a cross and apply his sacrifice to our life so that we could celebrate him and to celebrate Christmas. I pray that that's what our Christmas will be, that that contentment that Paul is talking about, that secret, that mystery, will soak into our lives, and that Christmas will not be a time that when we come to the end, we're just exhausted, but rather that we're lifted up and that we know God better and that we love Jesus more. That's my prayer for all of us. Let us pray. Father, we are thankful for this passage and we're thankful for what Paul teaches us here through the power of your Holy Spirit. That, first of all, you have saved us. And that in saving us, you have revealed a mystery to us that we cannot know apart from this salvation. That our lives can be complete, they can be full, they can have meaning, they can have purpose because of what Christ is doing in us. The text says, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. And what that really means is that in, in Christ I have everything I need. Whether it's little or whether it's much, it doesn't matter. Father, we believe that. But because Paul says, I'm learned, I've learned it, we can also pray, Father, help us to learn that more. And we pray in Christ's name. Amen.